Hey, you need to take the war rig half a click down the track. What if you're not back by the time the engines are cooled? Why you keep moving? to the Mad Max Minute. I hope you know how far a click is, because that's how far we're going in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 73, which begins with grenades exploding around the war rig as it achieves the high ground, and it ends with the Peacemaker speeding past the bent-over tree. Joining us this week is Eric Nash from the Watchmen Minute Podcast. Hey, glad to be here, guys. Hey, Eric, it's good to have you. Thank you for spending some time with us. Glad to. This is a wonderful movie, in my opinion. I over the moon at uh, what it came out, and I first saw it. And I'm sure we'll go into that more detail, but can't wait for these three minutes. The over the moon might be one of the better ways to describe this week and the weeks that we've had, and the weeks that. Uh, you know what? Actually, now that I think of it, I think this is our last nighttime week. I think it is. Like we fade to black at the end of this week on Friday, and that's it. The next time we come back, boom, it's daytime again. Oh, man. Talk about a long night. <laughs> Weeks. Well, Eric, it's good to have you here to help us finally transition out of our blue period. Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned, we start off this minute with the war rig finally getting out of the mud. Such a relief to be done with all of this muddy ground nonsense. And as the rig comes to a stop... Nux excitedly exclaims that he never thought he'd be able to do anything as shine as that. I love the slang here. It's great. And I like that you can see the origin of it. The whole, the idea of shiny and chrome. And that they have abbreviated that into using the term shine to mean doing something cool. I think it goes to prove that no matter the circumstances, you kind of, you can't stop pop culture. It's gonna happen. You can't stop these dang kids from having their slang words. No. So Furiosa comes up along the side of the rig and she inquires after the engines because they've just had to put those things through a lot of effort to get out of the mud. And she calls up and asks and Nux shouts down there, very hot and real thirsty. And all I can think of is I'll take things you read in a Tinder profile for $200, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Would Nux have three Tinder profiles? One for himself, one for Larry, and one for Barry. Oh. (laughs) I, unfortunately or unfortunately, I don't know how to phrase it specifically, but I've never had the experience or some would argue pleasure of using online dating. Eric, I don't know if you've had. No, I've, I've stayed away from that stuff. But I imagine if you've got tumors, you do one for yourself And then the tumors are just kind of (laughs) hangers on. I don't think you'd want to create an account for either. Because what if you double book them for dates? If they don't go to the same (laughs) restaurant, how are you going to handle that? That is dangerous. Just in any way calling attention to it might be a poor move (laughs) in our superficial society the way we have today. I think so, yeah. I think it was in the movie Freaks. We watched it because of Angela Rosito. We did? Yeah. Well, I did. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I don't think we watched it. But in that movie, 
there are conjoined twins and they have this situation where one of the twins is looking to get married to one guy and one of the twins is actively dating another guy and it's really contentious. So I imagine with Larry and Barry, you know, Larry is dating someone and Barry doesn't like that person and you know, Nux gets dragged along and he's got a full schedule as is being a Blackfinger. I can only imagine how oh stressful that would be. <laughs> but I imagine a Tinder profile would be the one place that you could put very hot and real thirsty and have it be usable out of the context of an overheated engine. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, the real thirsty remark, you know, I mean, that's, that's very much, uh, you know, giving some personality to the engine, some, you know, making it uh, more humanistic. Going back to what we saw back when the flames were extinguished, they were running from the rock riders. The mm. air intake opened up and you get that big suck of air and it sounded like the war rig was breathing in, making it more like a person than an object. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometime recently, we were joking about the chain that connected Nux and Max having a character arc. Mm and being personified. Oh, yeah. And the chain had actually quite a complete character arc. I kind of see the same thing for the rig, too. Another thing, I mean, with the rig itself, with more the uh, tanker storage area, is it's kind of making this a, bit, a little bit of a turn at one point there, and all this kind of sand or other debris kind of falls off. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I did, and I have to wonder, has that sand been there since... Like the canyon? Yeah, right. I can't imagine that it has. It's I mean, streaming off the top of the tanker in like sheets, very fine sheets. I did notice that and I have no idea where that sand came from. <laughs> <laughs> it does make me wonder if in some version of the film, there was sand blowing around mm. as well as it being at night, as well as it being misty, foggy. You know, we never talked about what is in the air. I just kind of, kind of assumed it was mist because they were in this boggy area. But what if it's not? What if it's sand? What if they're having a more regular <laughs> pre-apocalyptic sandstorm? What if it's just like sand sprinkles? Yeah, just in the air all the time and sand accumulates real fast. Given that the tanker is rocking a whole lot since it's going up over the ridge, I would believe it. If there was just a ton of dust and small sand up on top of the tanker, like in that little walkway that blew in during the sandstorm and the rock rider chase and all of this stuff. And it's just now getting jostled out the side. I can go with that, too, because up till now, the rig has been driving on, I think, surprisingly well kept and packed roads. Yeah, And we had a little bit of swerving when they first got to the wet terrain, but that wouldn't be the same as rocking. It would be yeah. swerving, but not quite rocking. So I like the detail of the dust and sand coming off the top there, even if it does seem a little weird. But no weirder than the flag things at the back of the tanker intact after being smashed by the rock arch. I don't think we've brought that up since it happened. We might have, but I don't know. I don't remember. The important thing here is that the engines need some time to calm down, and so Max, not wanting to just sit and wait, he grabs an oil can and a couple of charges and a knife from back in the little storage area by the fifth wheel, and I guess I'm just most impressed by the fact that you can store stuff back there and it doesn't fall off or go missing or anything like that. It's magnets, I think. Oh, I love magnets. I'm going to go with magnets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's a weird storage space. 
It would have to be something. So I'm going to go with magnets, too. Now, I'm pretty sure that this knife machete thing that Max grabs is the same knife that Toast was playing around with back when they stopped the rig the first time and Cheeto made a run for it. I'm pretty sure Toast had it back then. If I had thought about it ahead of time, I would have double-checked, but I'm pretty sure when Cheeto made a run for it, Toast hopped out and she had this knife, and I think she just tossed it back in here. But now Max is borrowing it because he's got some sort of plan that he's working out. He's getting crafty. I love the quintessential Max. Most of what he does just goes on in his own head. <laughs> He's not the best communicator. He is a lone wolf. And so he gathers together this collection of supplies and just heads out. And that even continues into Furiosa. It's like, well, wait, what if you're not back in time? And he's like, yeah, move on. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, what? <laughs> What are you supposed to do? Come after me? No, you move on. I like the succinctness of, hey, you need to move the war rig half a click down the track. It's very max, very to the point. Real quick, does anybody know off the top of their head how far a click is? No. <laughs> I thought a click was a mile. Eric? Uh, yeah, I wasn't aware of this. Yeah. So I looked it up because that's what I do. Thebalancecareers.com has a little explanation about clicks and... It's a fun little thing where since World War I, the U.S. and the U.K. militaries have used the metric system when performing combined operations with the French who used the metric system. So the maps were made by the French and the term kilometer became part of U.S. military lexicon after World War I, even though we still use standard imperial units here in the U.S. So simply put, the term click is derived from the word kilometer. So one click equals one kilometer. Now, they get into a little bit of the history, and I like this because it is very specific to Australian infantry. So there are military historians who believe that the term click with the K instead of a C originated in Vietnam with the Australian infantry. And as the story goes, they would navigate by compass directions and then measure distance by pacing. This was, of course, previous to GPS because it was Vietnam. Anyway, in order to keep track of distance, one or two soldiers would be assigned to count their paces. So if they were going on flatland, they would count up to 110. If it was downhill, they'd count 100. If it was uphill, they would count 120. That's just how they measured it out. But those distances would roughly equal 100 meters. So the soldiers would keep track of each 100 meter lot by moving the gas regulator on their L1A1 rifles by one mark. <laughs> and after moving it 10 marks or a thousand meters, they would signal the section commander using hand signals and then indicate movement of a thousand meters by lifting the rifle and rewinding the gas regulator with a movement of the thumb resulting in an audible click. Mm. Wow. Ah, <laughs> okay. So it works on multiple levels. It does. It's pretty cool. Mm. I didn't know that before today. I feel stereotypically American, guessing that it was a mile rather than the <laughs> unit of measurement that most of the world uses of a kilometer. <laughs> I think you could be forgiven for that. Dang right. <laughs> One thing that also stands out to me is Furiosa's response. What if you're not back by the time the engines have cooled? And I think since Max and Furiosa started working together in the canyon, this is the first time that Max has expressed the idea of, as a dungeon master would say, splitting the party. And Furiosa is looking at this like, 
where are you going? No, we're a team. We got to stick together because we're all in this together. And it's interesting that she's full on seeing him as a member of the team and not just someone who may be convenient. No, he's part of maybe not family. This isn't Fast and the Furious just yet, but he's important enough that she would be concerned about leaving him behind. But then I think from his point of view, I think he is doing this and he's, he's telling them that, that they'll need to continue on because he's feeling a bigger connection now as of late. This is classic Max that he's willing to sacrifice and leave himself behind for the sake of other people getting away. It just so happens that this time around, he's not playing chicken. He's trying to outfox his opponent. Mm-hmm. Eric, I agree with what you said. That Max is starting to feel like part of the group, part of the team, part of the family, if you want to go that far. <laughs> but at the same time, he's also a realist. Yeah, right. He's got this plan that I'm sure we'll talk about on Wednesday when it actually is executed. And he knows that it's dangerous and he might not come back. And he doesn't want to make too big a deal out of that fact. That, yeah, if I don't come back, you have to move on. Just like we didn't go back for Ang Herod because it wasn't practical. You're not going to come back for me. You're just going to keep going. And there's definitely a fairness in that. Speaking of Ang Herod, he and Furiosa refused to go back for Ang Herod even after the wives were begging them to. So Max gets the same treatment. If something happens to me, you're not coming back for me. So it's only fair. Yeah, it would be a little ridiculous if Max was like, well, if I don't come back, then don't go anywhere because, you know, don't leave me behind. And then Capable would be like, um, yeah, no. <laughs> like, she's compassionate, but she doesn't forget. Yeah, I think she would be particularly offended at a sentiment like that from Max. Yeah. But following that statement, Max just trots off into the night, disappearing into this blowing fog, dust, sand. I don't think we ever really settled on it. I'm just going to say it's fog because it seems like this would be a somewhat humid environment. And Toast walks up beside Furiosa and says, what do you suppose he's going to do? And Furiosa says, retaliate first. Okay, the first. Does she mean retaliate before going on to do other things? Retaliate before the opposing party can retaliate? Or retaliate before anybody else in his party can retaliate? Eric, what's your take on this? No, the middle one. Before before they can retaliate. I mean, it's you had this previous battle stuff going on. So this is just uh, their side, him in particular, retaliating before the other side. It's a low point in the battle, and that's when the retaliation. And he wants to do it first. He's on the ball, wants to go, <laughs> wants, to, wants to take care of it and not have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> one way or the other for him. And based on the exchange that we're dealing with here, Max is in the position to retaliate because the bullet farmer, who's come from the bullet farm, has been the initial aggressor. He's the one that shot first. He has, not in a literal sense because of definitions and stuff, but the bullet farmer has tallied, and so now it is Max's turn to retaliate. So because I'm like this, I'm crazy about parts of words and things like that. I looked up the word retaliate. On mashedradish.com, they did this whole write-up about the word retaliate. And the headline, which is why I pulled it up, said, We can retaliate, but can we taliate? So it turns out that there actually is 
an obscure verb in the English language that is taliate, but it means to tax or more properly to impose tallage. Tallage was a kind of tax levied in feudal Norman times, and it's a word with the ultimate Latin root of taliar or taliari, which means provide detail, entail, tailor, tally, yes, retail, you know, all that stuff, <laughs> root mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. But the idea of retaliating is specifically to offer requital or repayment, to answer a slight or an insult with an act of aggression equal to or greater than the level of aggression initially given. Mm -hmm. So by saying retaliate first, Furiosa is saying very specifically, he's going to go answer their violence with violence. And while we're waiting, we're going to take care of these engines, which is what she means by let's go. Also move half a click down the road, which is part of taking care of the engines. I think my question will be answered on Wednesday, but out of context, as we do, going one minute at a time, lots of things are out of context. <laughs> uh, why does he have them move half a click down the road? Why not let the engines cool where they are right now? I feel it's a matter of he has this innate sense or what have you that these enemies that they're currently trying to fight, Bullet Farmer, his crew, that they have a good clue as to where they are right now. Hmm. Whether or not that's really could be true or not, you know, it's hard to say, I think. But, okay. but just something deep down inside him, get a little more space. You know, you're not going to go a whole click because a whole click, I guess, maybe would <laughs> really kill the engine, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But he's also aware of that, I guess, too, that, you know, well, when an engine is uh, pretty, pretty at its uh, last leg, you need to get it to cool down. Having it drive a half click is okay, but a click would be no Too much. go. <laughs> I like the idea that... Yes, the the bullet farmer has a decent idea of where they are. And since they're splitting up, not leaving the rig in that same place means that they're even further away. Max is heading towards the bullet farmer. The rig is heading away. So it's even more confusing to anybody who might be around. Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, and then another thing is, I mean, and the bullet farmer, I mean, if he's following on the same road, roughly, even, you know, it might not be exactly right on the road, but maybe he's getting a little off. But, um, you know, he's the bullet farmer is going to meet Max soon anyway. And from the looks of what Max has grabbed, namely the gas can, the thunderstick charge, I'm pretty sure he's going to set up the same type of trap that he did for the war party sticking the charge down into the road. Maybe this time he'll incorporate the gas can as part of it just to give it a little bit extra oomph, considering that he is going to be trying to explode a hot rod tank thing, <laughs> whatever you would describe the peacemaker as. So moving the war rig half a click down the road would give him a little bit more space to set up that trap, to lie in wait. And then when that explosion does happen, there's less of a chance of it hurting the war rig because it is so much further away. And then when he does spring his trap, whatever he does, he doesn't have to worry about the wives or Nux or Furiosa being too close so that if he acts a little bit reckless, as Max is wont to do, he doesn't have to worry about people getting caught in the crossfire. Sounds good. Yeah. That Max, he's got some good ideas from now and then. That pretty much brings us to the end of this minute. We get to see just how close the Peacemaker is as the Bullet Farmer and his cronies approach the bent over tree that we saw the war rig pass at the beginning of this minute. And so we'll follow up on Wednesday with how that goes. But before we get to that point, Eric, I would like you to tell our listeners where they can hear more of you. 
We actually finished a few months back now, uh, Watchmen Minute, but it's it's set to be there. As far as my co-host, who's <laughs> uh, who's uh, behind it all, behind it, uh, the uh, hosting and so forth, um, Watchmen Minute, um, and it, it's at his uh, at his other podcast uh, website. Uh, it's at realpodcastnetwork.com slash Watchmen Minute, and of course you can Google it and find it everywhere. You can normally get your podcast, but doing doing just like. Uh, Rick and Julia are doing here for Mad Max. We did for Watchmen the uh, the director's cut, one minute at a time. All 186 minutes of the director's <laughs> cut. <laughs> and then um, coming up, uh, it, it might be appearing right now in your podcast feed. Hopefully, uh, almost famous minute is uh, the one that has come next for me. Um, uh, hosting it somewhat on my own, but uh, pretty much each week I essentially have a you know I, I bring in someone to be a co-host and then I. Then we have a, a uh, an additional guest. So the uh, the three person format, roughly for Watchmen, it uh, lives on. There were a few times we had a couple extra people here and there, though. But uh, yeah, it's a great format, and uh, you'll be able to find us. Uh, uh, the the one big thing I've been I've had so far is the uh, Twitter handle, and that's at Almost Famous Men. So if you're into superheroes, you've got one thing you can check out with Eric in it. If you are into ensemble pieces built around rock and roll bands and classic rock music you've also got almost famous minutes so no matter no matter what you're into as long as it's one of those two things you'll be covered <laughs> and they both contain billy crudup yep as for us we will be coming back on wednesday where furiosa will move the rig nux and the wives will cool the engines and max will return from his little foray with some spoils the Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 73 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>